que las palabras de mi boca y la meditación de mi corazón sean aceptables a ti, oh Señor, mi fuerza y mi Redentor. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock, my rock and my redeemer, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'm so pleased to be with you this morning. Um, we were calculating a little while ago, the last time I was here, I was in seminary. So I was 30 years ago. So I think it's about time that I came back to visit. And it's a very wonderful time of the year to come and visit. Although I was a little taken aback when I walked into the sanctuary because um, my sermon was largely based on Christmas decorations. <laughs> But your altar guild very rightly have changed the decor, uh, very rightly so, because you know that, that hymn, the 12 days of Christmas, uh, that's, a, that's a Christian hymn, it's not a secular hymn, but a lot of uh, people have taken it up because it's very melodic and so forth. But the 12 days of Christmas start December 25th, and they end on January 5th. January 6th begins the season of Epiphany. So the 12 days of Christmas are, are over. They are finished. So, so I, should, I should not have expected to see <laughs> Christmas decorations. However, what you have now is very beautiful. And it'll still work with my sermon. So all is not lost. <laughs> so one of the things about Christmas decorations is... Um, and, and, and you still do have a tiny bit of it out in your, in your patio, there's an enormous bowl of poinsettias out there. Uh, now, I will tell you, this is an aside and my own pet peeve that I'm starting to try to work through. Poinsettias are not the right name for that flower. These flowers are indigenous to Mexico. And there is a beautiful name to it, but it's in Nahuatl. And I cannot remember how to say it. So I'm going to have to continue to call them poinsettias until I can memorize, you know, the, the, the word. It's a, it's a little bit complicated. But, uh, but and, and poinsettias, and the reason that it really called my attention is because poinsettias are one of my very favorite Christmas decorations. I think they're just so beautiful. They are just magnificent. And they, and they send a signal, you know, that it's time. Uh, and, and I don't mean like the Costco time, you know, where Christmas, Christmas starts in July, you know, and you start seeing all the, all the, all the stuff. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a signal that there's a season coming up. And our church is very, very good about symbols and signals. 
I was at uh, Resurrection of the Lord over on Walsham uh, last Sunday. And at that time, they still did have all of their, all of their Christmas stuff was still up. And, uh, you know, they just, they did such a glorious job. And uh, when I mentioned that in the sermon this morning, one of our ladies said, oh, I've got pictures of what our altar looked like. <laughs> she wanted to make sure I knew that y'all, y'all dressed up real good too. Uh, and of course, there were poinsettias and lots of other beautiful things. Uh, at my church, my home church is St. Paul's over on Grayson Street. And of course, you know, we had our poinsettias and we had the creche and so forth. And that's another controversy is like, when do you put the creche up? You know, when did the three kings get set out? When does the baby Jesus go in there? And how come you put the creche out before, you know, while it's still in Advent? You know, the liturgical police are everywhere. <laughs> and all of these things, all of these decorations, uh, at, at Resurrection, they had this giant tree with uh, a lot of uh, symbols on it. They called it a Christmas tree, which some people also call the Jesse tree. And each one was a gorgeous, beautiful ornament that was handmade over 30 years ago. Gorgeous, gorgeous. They looked brand new, beautiful. And each one of these little uh, pieces symbolized something about the ministry of Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful work. This, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. So I, I said to Erica, I said, what, 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 what do you think? What is this? And she said, they're fingerprints. I said, okay, that, that works. And then there's all these little birds. And uh, somebody said origami. And I said, yeah, but I think they're peace cranes. So that's another, that's another symbol. And, 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 and here, I have this. We call it a stole, but it represents something. What do you think it represents? It's a towel. It's a towel that represents the towel that Jesus used to dry the feet of the apostles to say, you are a servant leader. So this is not a symbol of above, that who wears this is above you, but who wears this is a servant to you so that you can also be a servant to others. Our church is rich with symbolism, all kinds of symbolism. You know, we have our seasons, you know, and they're color-coded so that we know that there's a shift going on. Right now it's white. By next Sunday it'll be green, and then it'll be purple, and then it'll be green again, and then interspersed there might be reds. And each one of those colors symbolizes something. It's a signal to us that something's going on that we need to pay attention to. When we are listening to the lessons, we sit. But when the gospel is read, we stand. There is a symbolism to that. So we have to remember to look at the symbols and to wonder and question, and what is that? Why is that? So today we have the story of, uh, just jokingly, I sometimes I just call them the story of the wise guys. In Spanish, it's Los Reyes Magos, the Magi. And this is a particularly important story for us sitting here as non-Jewish people. Because the Matthew Gospel was written for the audience of Jewish people. 
Luke was written for the audience of more Gentile people. John was written for a different audience, but Matthew's gospel was written targeting the ears and the memory and the tradition of Jewish people. So the Jewish people tradition says that they are the chosen ones. They are God's chosen people. And it's all over scripture referenced them in this way. But now here's Matthew, who himself is a very ardent Jew, who wants very much to, to reach the Jewish audience. And he brings in these three foreigners, these three outsiders. And they come from where? From the East. Doesn't say exactly from where, but from the East, outside of the regular Jewish geography. And they've seen a sign, they've seen a symbol, the star, and they've decided to follow that star because they knew in their wisdom, they knew that this portent something special. They knew that something had shifted in the cosmos. And so they went because they wanted to pay homage. They recognized this cosmic shift. Something happened and they had to see it for themselves. They had to see it with their own eyes. And so they followed the star and they found the incarnate God. Now, this incarnate God was sitting, laying in a manger. You know, there's the story in the gospel where it says uh, that the baby was born and Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Contemporary language is bands of cloth, which I don't like. I like the more traditional swaddling cloths. And the gospel itself makes it sound very clean and very simple. Those of us who have had children know that that's not true. That's not how it happens. It's a little more complicated and messy than that. But anyway, she wraps him in swaddling cloths and she lays him in a manger. Now, to our contemporary ears, because of the story that we know so well, we think of manger as a bed, as a crib. A manger is a feeding trough. That's what a manger actually is. It's a feeding trough. That's, if you look a manger in the dictionary, it says feeding trough. That's what it is. But it was very interesting that the gospel writers had Mary put Jesus in a feeding trough because here lies the bread of life. Here lies in this child food for our souls. Here lies an incarnate God. In Spanish, incarnate says encarnado, meat, flesh, incarnate word. Now, this is something that we need to internalize. In all of the symbolism around this season and around our church in general, in our ecclesial life, that is so full of symbolism. So many things that we do are symbolic. What we need to internalize 
is that Jesus is not symbolic. Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is not symbol of something. Jesus is God, not a symbol of God, not a representative of God, but God incarnate, not a symbol, not a sign, the real thing, the actual person of God among us. And when we come to receive Holy Communion, we internalize that as often as we receive it. To what purpose? When the three magi, the three wise men came, it was to send the message that Jesus, God, was not just for the Jewish people, but for the world, for us who are not Jewish, for all of us. And this is an enormous revelation in scripture that we oftentimes take for granted because we know the story so well. And those of us who, you know, come to church regularly, we know, we know, but our, our liturgies are repetitive and cyclical because we need these reminders. We need the symbols. We need the signs. We need the nudging, like, hey, pay attention. Something different is happening because we're human and we forget or we take for granted or we don't think about it too much. So we need to internalize it so it becomes part of who we are, that when we come to communion, when we think of Jesus incarnate, when we think of Jesus who walked the earth and smelled and slept and wept and did, that, that it wasn't a, a, a myth or, or a story, it was a real event. Jesus is a historic figure, a real person who lived among us, worked among us, died among us. And so when we internalize that, when we receive God's flesh in us, may it empower us to do what Jesus did. May this season of incarnation and inclusion because of the three wise men coming, it's not just one group's story. It's our story too. Es para nuestras vidas, para nuestro bien, not just a seasonal thing. If we interiorize it, it is a part of who we are. And, and most of the time, especially, I mean, preaching to the choir, I mean, y'all are here. So I know y'all know something. <laughs> Let us remember it and act on it and go out and do the things that Jesus called us to do. Like we say in our uh, post-communion prayer, after we receive this sacred incarnation flesh Jesus, and I love that you all use bread, because it takes more faith to think that a host 
is Jesus than and, and to think that it's bread, you know, because those hosts are so... I mean, it's, it's a little more realistic to have bread, so I love that you all have bread. So when we interiorize that, when we chew it in our mouth, and by the way, it's really good, I really liked it, and we internalize it and we process it in our body, and this sacredness infuses us, empowers us. Let us use that infused presence of Jesus in our lives to do those things he has given us to do, as it says in our post-communion prayer. Send us out to do the work you have given us to do. Do the work. Do the work of being Jesus. Do the work of God incarnate in you. And this season will be one of the most powerful places that has given you that, that, that oomph to, to, to go forward and, and, and be Jesus for other people. Amen.